Am I making any sense? All right, here we are, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of Am I Making Sense? I'm very happy to have with me today my buddy, comedian, Mudit Verma. Mudit. <laughs> nice having you, man. You can catch Mudit. We met uh, in Zoom mics. He's also the host and creator of Furthermore Podcast, which I've really been digging. Um, I know you're uh, at least what, like, uh, how many episodes you in on that one so far? I just uploaded my 20th episode uh, a yes. couple nights ago. Congratulations. That feels good, right? The first, yeah. like, I've done multiple podcasts and it feels like the first 10 or 15 feel like a lot of work. And then at some point it just feels like, okay, this is what we do. This is how we're going to, you know, handle the uploading, do this and that. And then it just becomes like, almost like stand up um, comedy where it becomes a compulsion. You just go, how many mics did I do this week? You know? So that's right. awesome. 20. Yeah, man. I, I wanted to have you on this podcast because we've been bumping into each other actually quite a bit yeah. at these zoom open mics. And, um, I always appreciate my, uh, fellow comics who are really consistent with where and when they show up. And I noticed you've yeah. been doing that. We've been, I, I would say there was a few weeks where it felt like we were on almost every mic <laughs> together. Yeah. <laughs> where I just came out, Oh, it's mooted again. Uh, and then I saw that you did this podcast, this furthermore podcast. And I was listening to the different, um, guests you had on your, your show. And I was like, man, I got to get this guy on. So I really appreciate you joining. Um, I want to, usually what I like to do to kick things off for the podcast is I'm just curious, uh, how and what was the motivation to get into stand-up comedy? Yeah, so I started stand up in the summer of 2019. Uh, this was like August, late August, early September, and I I have a friend that I've known for about a decade, and and this friend has been doing stand up for about three or four years, and he would he was like doing stand up for a few months secretively like uh secretively compared to sort of our friend circle where none of us were, were comics mm. uh and this friend got really good at it and in the meantime i was wrapping up uh pharmacy school and i graduated in 2018 uh and and i i was uh from 2000 from summer of 2018 to early summer of 2019 i had a, i had a day job uh but i was very i was very very like out of place. I felt, I felt sort of in the wrong position, uh, career wise, existentially. And, uh, essentially I, I took some time off after quitting that day job in, uh, the early summer of 2019 ran into this friend that I alluded to earlier, uh, at a wedding. Yeah. And, and he sort of followed up on, on kind of like, uh, but when I, when I watched a couple of his shows, just as a, like an indifferent, audience member but like supportive of, of him and his art form which is stand-up um he followed up on sort of a, a a little bit of a dare or like like hey you should give it a try you know like okay. uh and he, he was doing that to a lot of us in the friend circle and this particular friend group a lot of us um are like shy and introverted i think me i was a little bit more outgoing relative to the other you know okay. members of this friend group yeah uh and then and so it was you know this wedding took place during a time where I was on like a personal sabbatical and, and, um, this, you know, this friend ran a weekly open mic and, uh, 
Germantown, Maryland. And, and I gave it a shot. Like I had no excuse. My excuse before was that like, if I bombed, then I would be so upset that I wouldn't be able to function at school uh, the next day or at yeah. work the next day. Um, and so I think that logistical aspect is really what started it. And it's, it's been growing ever since. Nice. Yeah. So it was a dare. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Or like a teasing, like a dare, like a little like, Hey, give it a shot. You know, like, yeah. It's interesting. I do wonder the difference between the people who accept the dare, do it, and then say, like, I never want to do that again. And then, right. and then what differentiates them from the person who doesn't goes, oh, I want to keep going with this, you know? Because there are a lot of people who said, oh, I did an, I did an open mic. Kind of like, it would be me with karaoke. Like, I have saying karaoke, but I never would look forward to or seek out or try to do karaoke. It's like, I've done it, and I, I don't ever want to do it again. Right. But then <laughs> something with the stand-up, you do it, and then, oh, okay, I want to keep going with this. So, yeah, that's really cool. Um, so, your friend was doing it on the down low, keeping yeah. it away from you guys. Was there a time or a period where you were like, ah, I don't really want to let on that I'm doing comedy to other people also. And you were kind of in stealth mode, so to speak. Uh, I don't think, I think the only stealth that I had was a, was a period of time. The period of time that took place between my first open mic, which was late August in, uh, 2019. Uh, before I uploaded my first like clip, like literally a nine to 10 second clip on Instagram of me, like telling one joke, like to me, that was like a semi stealth. I wasn't really hiding it proactively from like a conversational sense, but I did sort of put a level of significance on really like communicating to the social media world that, Hey, I I do stand up comedy. And that first clip I uploaded to Instagram, um, early Thanksgiving weekend of that same year, 2019. So that was like a, a few months. Uh, so, th- I mean, but other than that, there, there was no stealth. I was pretty open about it, like in conversations or at social events. So it was, you know, a little bit in between. Yeah. Nice. What's, what were the challenges when you first started? Like, did you, you have open mics around you? Do you have enough op- mic, open mics to get to? Did you have time yeah. to write? And yeah. You- so so the, the number of mics were definitely ample. I mean, uh, the DC okay. area, DC, Maryland, Virginia area is there. There's a whole lot. Now, I'm not too far from Baltimore either. Oh. Uh, you know, uh, be, being in Maryland, so there was definitely an, an abundance of open mics, and um, I was very good at showing uh, the things that I was really good at was showing up to mics and and getting on stage. Yeah. The, the I think the the areas where I could have done better, um, and and still am finessing to this day, is sort of uh, like getting into a headspace perhaps like during the day or in the morning or in the early evening, depending on when the first mic is taking place to, to really, to, to do some deep writing and not only deep writing, but structured writing in, in the form of a joke. Well, that, that, those are my challenges early on. And I think I've improved a lot uh, uh, over time, but early on it was, it was the structured writing and the deep writing that took place before or outside of like the, the mic. Yeah. Um, were you, did you like to write prior to comedy? I, I did. Uh, and, and my, my day job before, um, before quitting and, and taking a sabbatical and then, uh, discovering my passion for standup during that sabbatical, my day job was called a medical writer. Oh. And, and, and that, but the, the issue, that particular position was super technical and it wasn't really me like generating original kind of prose. It was like me, like editing these very long word documents and like yeah. Excel sheets and then putting them into tables and word documents. But 
um, in, in pharmacy school, like halfway through pharmacy school, I knew I didn't want to be a regular kind of retail conventional practicing pharmacist. Oh, uh, and so a lot of, a lot of the things I were doing were related to writing, like medical writing, health writing and communications, like maybe like the public speaking aspect of it, the content creation aspect of it, the, uh, maybe like the pamphlets and, and the, the, the education, like, uh, yeah. you know, the, the content creation. So, uh, that, that was always, I, and I think that was a sort of a, a passion that um, developed in, in those years in particular, it, it didn't really come up in high school or, or college for me, just because I think like, it's interesting. I think like in, in high school and college, I was around people that were very, very outgoing and expressive. And I think I often felt intimidated by that. Mm. But I think in, in pharmacy school, the vast, the average pharmacy student tends to be like an introverted person that keeps yeah. to themselves and, and they're not, they tend to not be very creative or expressive, so, but I, like that contrast was there, that juxtaposition was there during that program. So it kind of, you know, evolved. You got to bring a little bit of the exuberance from this other crowd into the quiet crowd. I, I actually, I did work, I'm not in life sciences, but I did work at a pharmaceutical for years um, okay. in IT operations, stuff like that. But um and it is, it's, it's super technical and super scientific. So people do carry themselves and handle themselves in a very measured and thoughtful way. So you don't right. get people with, I, I don't know, just firing, firing at the hip or being really, it's a, you know, it's a scientific world, I guess is the only way to say it. So yeah, there are a lot of introverts that do it, but interestingly, uh, I don't know. I've only been doing stand-up comedy for two and a half years. So I'm not much further along than you, but I would say there are a lot of introverts in stand-up comedy too. And I find yeah. like maybe their outlet is trying to craft the perfect joke. And yeah. that's kind of like their communication. Um, so I guess stand-up draws from all kinds of different personality types um, to bring yeah. it in. But I, so what I wanted to ask you about the writing is what's your opinion? Do you think the structured writing helps, uh, helps you out on stage or do you think it's just the discipline of paying attention to a joke, how it might sound? Because I know a lot of people, and sometimes I feel it too, where I write a joke on paper and on paper, I go, this is how the joke should work. And then something happens when I go to tell it in front of a person where I'll like flip a word, flip a phrase, or maybe adrenaline will just kick in and I'll say something. And I'll be like, that was way better than what I wrote on the page. So what have you been, you're finding when you do put that time in with structured writing, do you feel it helps perfect the joke quicker? Or do you still think that the stage is needed to make that joke work? Right. I think that the, the stage is needed to make it work because I, for me, the, the longer form writing is kind of the preliminary aspect, like the, the something I start with. And then I try to distill maybe a, a, a handful of sentences into, into like one or two buzzwords that I can anchor to if it, if it was like on a note card in front of me or, or if it was concise and memorable enough, just like something I have in the back of my head. Um, and then and then it becomes an objective of when I get on stage, communicating, I wouldn't say riffing, but communicating the, the idea uh, of, of like the, the cue, the, the, the buzzwords that I have in the back of my head or, or on a note card, depending on um, if, if that's like permissible or, or uh, you know, not like distracting. Yeah. Um, 
and then and then try to communicate that idea with with a cadence that is hopefully not sounding rehearsed or or hopefully not sounding like I'm reading off the the long form writing I did prior to that. Mm-hmm. And then try to pick up on like what, you know, I have the buzzwords in my head. And then I have like certain words that are really um integral to the joke. Yeah. Are there any are there any other words that came out in the moment, in the heat of the moment that also contributed to the joke or maybe even took took away from the joke, like you know, like uh uh you know finessing that. So um or the time you work on a certain word or something, the time you mm-hmm. it felt like something slipped because I said that word and then everyone lost the feel of whatever I was trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's I've had very similar experience to you and you know what, we're going to get into the zoom comedy because that's how we met. But, um, yeah. I found with zoom comedy, I'm trying to get away from this, but I, I still do this. It's so easy just to have your computer note there. And you talked about reading versus delivering your joke. You know, if right. you put too many words on a note card, then you're just, um, I don't even know what you'd call that. You're just like a speaker reading off a cue card. But if, right. you, if you feel the joke and it's in you and you deliver it, then it's, oh, that's a joke. But right. with these Zoom mics, I leave my notes up and I'll be right. too, I'll write too much detail and I'll start reading and I go, I don't think, you know, already it's hard enough with just the, you know, not being able to necessarily see everyone and read a room. Um, you can even use that term in zoom. And so when I'm just reading, I go, I'm sure this is coming off as very stiff to anyone listening right now. So I got to get out of the habit of doing that and kind of go back to where we were when we were in person and we had to go up, maybe we bring some kind of notes, but for the most part, you have to have it in your head. Whereas now I've really been relying on those notes that I type up before getting onto the zoom call. Um, so I wanted to ask you about zoom comedy. Obviously, we're all meeting a lot of new people. Were you in, were you on board with Zoom comedy? This, well, first off, I guess we should ask: When did your community get any kind of lockdown rules and shut down open mics? Um, and then, did you adopt Zoom right away, or was it a while before you jumped in? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, for my memory, the the lockdown, you know, really got serious. I want to say uh, mid March, I, I, I could be a little bit off, but mid March of, uh, 2020. And it, it was, um, it was a time where I returned home from Maryland after taking a short trip to, uh, Philadelphia, where I checked out some of the comedy open mics in Philly. Uh, cause my, uh, my best friend from high school was in his last year of, uh, medical school, uh, at Penn. So, um, I just like spontaneously took a trip to Philly and, uh, so yeah, this is mid March. And I think for, uh, I was reluctant to do Zoom comedy for a, for about two months because it was um, for me at the time Zoom comedy was my local scene, just kind of taking the same uh, mics but bringing them to Zoom. Yeah, and I I think I was a little bit cynical about it. I was yeah. uh, also I also felt that because I was so new to comedy, I didn't feel that it was worth subjecting myself to say. Uh, so, so before zoom, like as a newbie, uh, you know, I new, newer comics would be for, for the mics that did not go in order of like the signups, they would, they would put newbies toward the, towards the end. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, and I, and I knew that this, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not like, uh, judging the, it yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's justified. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, but at the time, like I didn't see the, I, I was, I think I might've been, 
um, a bit tired, a bit jaded. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't see the value in like bringing that to Zoom. Um, and what changed was when I, uh, what changed was I, so I volunteer remotely for a, for a mental health nonprofit and, um, they, like, uh, they, uh, they, like they're connected to other nonprofits. And one of these other nonprofits had like a mixed arts open mic. Um, and that mixed arts open mic was like this, this like peripheral, this other nonprofit was like headquartered in, in New York. Um, and then I, uh, so that like sparked the, the, the subtle, but powerful inkling of like, okay, now I can find these impromptu online open mics that are not in the DMV area. Um, and it became like this networking, networking thing. And I think when I had that revelation, what started happening was, um, comedians from around the country and even around the world, like started joining other Facebook groups that are like defined by like certain metropolitan areas and cities. And then like each of those cities had their own zoom mics and, and we could hop onto each of those zoom mics. And then, and then this place comedians became like this centralized Facebook group of, of like all of that happening. Uh, and, and I was pretty on board with it because what I think the turning point was when I realized that this could be, uh, both a networking opportunity and an opportunity to, t- to tell jokes to fresher audiences that haven't heard my material before. So there you go. Yeah. That's what I, so there are still naysayers out there. Right. It's getting fewer and fewer. If you want to do stand up comedy, if you really, really want to do stand up comedy, um, I mean, come on, there's, there's no options right now. And so right. Zoom, Zoom is it. There are in-person here in the Bay area that they, they did kind of keep uh, some Bay area more showcases and they were at drive-in theaters, which is safe. A couple of ballparks where people had their cars on the infield. And then um, like there was one that was doing one on a crane. So it was all like socially distanced oh. mics, but it was like, you went from whatever hundreds per week down to like three or something. Right. So zoom is it. If you want to write and tell yeah. a joke, we don't got a lot of choices guys. And, and so what I, um, kind of how I think of it now is exactly the point you made about, um, the writing and then just the repetitions of doing it. If nothing else, let's say we're not learning anything, uh, about being funny in front of different people with zoom. Let's just say, I don't think that's true, but let's say, okay, there was no net ad by having to switch over to zoom comedy for whatever it's going to be a year and a half, two years. At the very least, just disciplining yourself to write what you want to talk about, think about a comedic premise, and then go in front of a stranger, not even strangers, just people you know who haven't heard the premise before and see if you can at least get a reaction or some kind of, it's worth the exercise. I think it's worth the time. Um, But what, but the, what um, ended up happening, and I heard you talking about this in one of your podcasts, and I agree with is it, I think it, it shrunk down this comedy world to where, oh, hey, I'm talking to a a DC based comic right now where how many years would we have had to have been in the game to meet each other? Yeah. West coast guy, had there been no zoom and already, I mean, I'm mixing, I'm going to people's mics down South in LA. I'm going to obviously the Bay area mics that I've um, been going to for whatever, however long. And now I'm doing the East coast stuff and I'm feeling like, wow, my world is really shrinking. And I'm kind of getting a sense for all the different 
markets, I guess you would call it, where people want to be doing um, comedy. And then there's the international component, which I think for yeah. Americans, and this is very topical, we'll probably get into this later in the podcast. I think for Americans, it's good for us to understand how other senses of humor work. Right. Um, because, you know, I think, I think that just expands your, your muscles, your comedic thinking muscles to understand, um, you know, other cultures, how they're going to laugh at things or not laugh at things, whatever. So I think it's been just awesome. It's been amazing. Obviously there's been so much bad stuff this year that is a bummer, but I think this zoom thing turned out to be, I, I really look forward to it. <laughs> yeah. I like it. And like you said, so you kicked off your podcast, which we may as well get into that. So you right. kicked off your podcast and the six, the early, I guess, inertia and success that you've been having, we can almost attribute to the, the zoom comedy, um, boom, if you will. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the, this podcast started, I want to say, uh, summer, summer of last year. And that, you know, okay. that was, uh, uh, hand in hand with like us dealing with the lockdown and, and, uh, zoom comedy. Yeah. So what was the, uh, the name of the podcast is furthermore, yeah. What was the inspiration? What were you thinking when you put that together? It's a very well edited, uh, I guess, is it a podcast too, or just on YouTube um, right now? Or it's, is it on it's just on YouTube for now. Okay. And I, uh, <laughs> I, so I, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm still grappling with like what I, I, there's a part of me that wants to like uh, block out some time to like get, get perhaps get all these episodes in audio format. Because uh, I think the the word podcast has has more of like an audio, um, yeah, like thing to it. And uh, but it, I don't know. It was just it was this thing where there's a there's a, there's this pharmacist comedian named Maurice Shaw, and this is how he does his podcast. I'm not sure if his podcast is also available in audio, but he essentially like I I just liked how it was streamlined. The way he did it is he has he has an existing. YouTube channel and for him it's called um RX comedy. Okay. And then he just um he didn't like create this really appealed to me just logistically. Like he didn't create a separate account. He just sort of started a podcast within his already existing YouTube channel and invited guests on it and then gave it a particular name which I think it was it's called the No Prescription Needed Podcast. Nice. And and essentially that that was it. Like he has he has a certain um design for his thumbnail that's relatively consistent. Um and it's and uh, as far as I know, it's, it's primarily on YouTube, if not only on YouTube for now. And that, that was like where I, where I got the idea. I, I kind of like things more streamlined. Yeah. Um, and, and I might, I don't know, I might block out some time to like get this on, on some audio only formats, but uh, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm thinking about whether I want to like verbatim, like upload what I have in, in just audio format, or do I want to like, you know, do, do I want to maybe like stitch together um, some of the, the sound bites from, you know, what I have and, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, that's on YouTube and then, and then put together episodes that might have a common theme per like grouping certain sound bites together when it gets to the audio. So I'm still like thinking about that. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think about all those things too. You know what though, the, the, the only advice, and it sounds like you already kind of adhere to this. The only advice I could give is you don't want to you don't want to overcommit on anything and spoil the fun. Right now, right. one of the comics you had on, oh, I'm forgetting his name. He talked about comedy and how it used to be fun for him. And then it got not so fun because he entered into the business side. And now he's just right. doing Zoom and it got fun again. 
And yeah. so the, for me, when it comes, I tell people this cause they go, um, wow, you're doing, sometimes I'll do a lot of podcasts. Sometimes I'll do two, maybe three podcasts in a week. Sometimes I'll go two weeks and not do a podcast. And people assume I'm doing a lot of work. And I say, well, no, I, I only do, well, let's not even call it work because I enjoy podcasting, right? This is something I need to be doing, just like going to open mics. So this is enjoyable for me. Editing is not, but my, the quality of my product shows that your editing is crisp. I love your editing. My editing is shit, non-existent, you know, if any, when I upload, but I, I just, I say, no, I only commit to what I want to do. And if at any point I feel uh, this apprehension or anxiety around doing something like podcasting or going to an open mic, I step away. Why? Because it's not my career. Right. And it's not my family. And it's meant to be 100% an enrichment kind of activity. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, I would say only do what you want to do unless it turns into a career. Well, then that's a whole other discussion. But you're still, even right. if it turns into a career, you're absolutely right because the proliferation of social media is so mind numbing that I think you really just need to pick your lane. And I think keeping one cohesive YouTube, this is me. This is my channel. I have a podcast on this channel. Maybe you do some athletic stuff. We haven't got into soccer. Maybe you do some soccer right. stuff. You could do right. some analysis of the premier league, whatever. But if it all goes into there, that's who you are. And it just makes sense to me that, um, your channel be it. But I will say this about clips from my very rudimentary understanding of the internet and algorithms, I think algorithms favor clips much more than they favor um, long form. Yeah. So I think almost every, and I just say podcast generally, but I think all of those um, YouTube talk, long form discussion type podcasts, they all have another channel that just say clips and they, they do clips on it. Yeah. It seems those are more click baity or are people nibble yeah. on it more? Whereas the long form, someone goes, Oh God damn, 40 minutes. No, I'm not going to click on that. I'll give <laughs> up two minutes of my day. And you know, I think YouTube has figured all this out. I think they know how we behave before yeah. we know how we should be behaving. <laughs> if that right. makes sense. Yeah. Cause those feet, those algorithms are really weird. Um, yeah. so are you only having, you talked about, uh, the, the podcast of the pharmaceutical, do you only have comedians on your podcast or is it a mixed bag of comedians, uh, life sciences, people, doctors? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's totally a mixed bag. And cool. I, the reason it, it, uh, I kept it, I keep it uh, a mixed bag is largely because of scheduling. And yeah. I think earlier um, you asked uh, like about the name furthermore, uh, so, so my first episode is with a, a New York based comedian named Marlenas and we, we have a lot in common. So, so we both have degrees in, in the pharmaceutical realm yeah. and she, um, we had, we had, we had a lot of, uh, mutual like interests. So, so we were both comedians, uh, we're both in the pharmaceutical space. Uh, we both like had similar political views and, 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 and we were thinking to, put together a podcast on speaking to those like themes. Um, but really what, what I think what happened with my podcast is that, that, that was all fleshed out in the episode, like where, where I was interviewing her in episode one of that. Um, um yeah. And, and so I think like the, the, the reason I say that is because if I were to commit to those really specific themes, I don't think that I would have nearly as many episodes out 
as I would have today because I'd have to really, you know, that, that, that put, that limits me to like fewer people, fewer guests and, and, um, you know, therefore fewer opportunities to, to get this running. Um, also the, the word furthermore, just, just to make sure I co cover that, uh, one of my early open mic sets, uh, like I, it, there was, it was one of those lucky open mics where there was like a lot of audience members and they were all having a great time. Nice. And, um, I did one good joke, uh, and, and I did another good joke, but in, in between those two jokes, I felt like I needed a transition okay. uh, and that's not always necessary. So I just blurted out the word like, or the phrase furthermore, and that in and of itself just like became funny. Like, like, People laughed at that because like, I didn't need to say that, but I did. Uh, but it, it was funny anyway. So I guess it was good. Um, and so that moment, it was, it was like an awkward moment, but it was so symbolic of, uh, of who I am, particularly in the DMV scene. I have this sort of um, comedic image of a, a little bit like awkward, kind of, kind of tense, kind of anxious, uh, kind of nerdy, yeah, yeah. nerdy guy. Uh, and and that, you know, that phrase furthermore is, is what I think like encapsulated all of that. So, <laughs> okay. This is going to be crazy. So talking about having things in common, my, this podcast we're on right now is called, am I making sense? You want oh, to wow. about the phrase, am I making sense was on stage after telling a joke. Cause sometimes I just start talking <laughs> and then in yeah. my own head, there's like this driver going pumping the brake on what you just said makes no sense. And yeah. so I think, I, I think it was a very similar scenario where I went into, and I don't think the joke, the premise was going poorly. I think I was doing okay with it, but then that driver just slammed on the brakes and it was almost right. like a compulsion to just say, am I making sense? And then yeah. when I got off stage, I had already known I was going to start podcasting with, with comics. Yeah. And it was just a matter of, you know, starting to schedule people. But once I got off stage, I said, am I making sense? Right. Uh, wait, that's, Cause so many conversations I have, I walk away from go, did I make any sense? And I go, that'll be my, that's a perfect thing. So we both got the names of our podcasts from yeah. stand up comic event or whatever. So that's, yeah. what, so then I took mine and I started, you know, as you do anytime in this day and age, if you want to name something and I was Googling around, am I making sense podcasts? Am I making sense? YouTube, like Googling as much as I could, I didn't find anything. And then I launched the podcast and I started, you know, start hitting all the feeds and whatnot. And then I found out like the guy, this guy, Sam Harris, oh, Sam Harris, he's another kind of podcaster slash pundit, if you will. He's a neuroscientist, but he chimes in, he gives his opinion on anything. Anyway, he had a podcast called Making Sense and somehow I never came across it. And then now my goddamn podcast, it's like his is rated so high and mine's like, oh, okay, <laughs> but whatever, who cares? That's not the right. way I'm doing it, but it turned out there was another one out there that was kind of similarly named, um, but not, not right. identical. So uh, that's cool. So we co what a listener can expect or a viewer, since it's on YouTube, they can expect, uh, you know, po political discussion, science discussion, and then of course, uh, good old comedy when needed. Mm -hmm. um, so ah, should we get into it? Cause you said you were talking about the, person you had on and you had similar political things you are in the dc area it's yeah January 7th we just had yeah. crazy events yesterday um i just did this so this is what i'll say i'll kick it off like this obviously everyone has opinions on this um my first meeting with one of my coworkers on monday 
7 a.m. We get on the call, whatever, your cordials, happy new year, you know, hope you had a good whatever time off. Um, and then my coworker starts to say, and I know what she's going to say. And I want to scream. Don't say it. She goes, yeah. How could 2021 get any worse? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, I was like, oh, I think it could get worse. So I don't want to say that, you know? (laughs) And so here we are. What's the mood like over where you are? Yeah. So I obviously I'm referring to people, knuckleheads raiding the Capitol building. I'm sure everyone. (laughs) Right. Um, I don't think, did I, I'm trying to think if I left the house. Uh, I mean, we're all locked in anyway. Right. Because if I did, then it was for groceries, but I don't think I needed any groceries yet. You know, like last night. Okay. Um, And you know, I'm in Maryland, so we we didn't have a curfew. At least, not that I know. <laughs> no, we yeah. we definitely didn't have a curfew. DC had a had a 6 p.m. curfew, which is early. That's that's earlier than now. It's yeah. well, it's 6:41 where I'm at. Uh, so <laughs> like super early curfew yesterday. Um, the mood was very. I, I did. A, I was doing an open mic yesterday. Uh, it was at, uh, it was uh, it's called the Unemployment Mic uh, by Cody Webb, and it was a. Uh, um, 4 p.m. Eastern time, uh, 1 p.m. Pacific. Uh, yeah. And and like as this was unfolding, we were like literally doing this open mic, and we were all distracted. Like yeah. <laughs> we were all we were all bombing, but it was super justified because we're like our eyes yeah. were split between two screens. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I had literally I checked. I didn't check the news even. I just went to log into um, good one good one comedy. Mm-hmm. And I had a YouTube page up and I saw the news reel there and I go, wait, what? I just read it really quick. And then I, and then I go, well, let me click on this before the mic. And I click on it. And I'm like, Oh my God, I need to write some jokes. I got to drop this joke. I don't want to touch on yeah. this. Um, so yeah, it was crazy, man. And so everyone kind of had, had their quick comedic take on whatever was happening. Right. Um, so one of my theses, or I would say hypothesis, since I started comedy, is I, I went out with the question, can you make, can I be funny? Number one, that's the most important one, right? And can right. I make anything funny? Mm. What's your take on things like this? How quickly do you start writing jokes? Do you write jokes, really dark jokes right away? Or do you just say, let me do bubbly stuff first. And then as time yeah. progresses, what is your philosophy on humor, humor on anything? Do you hold anything sacred that shouldn't be lampooned or made fun of? Um, what are your right. thoughts on that? I think that from a, from a writing perspective and from a, a motivation perspective, I, I struggle with coming up with jokes that relate to my current kind of feelings and and frustrations okay um if if i were to tell a joke about a past you know a past challenge a past struggle i tend to do better with that because that's sort of done you know like sure it's something i've already have gone through and or witnessed um and if if it's not that see when when i first started comedy it was it, it, it tended to be like the, the my first jokes that had any structure were very surface level hacky kind of wordplay but it was i mean it was a starting point nonetheless yeah yeah, yeah. And, right 
And then the, the, then the objective became, how do I bring the stuff that keeps me up at night uh, today, like in this era, to the structured joke writing where, where you're vulnerable uh, and where the gauge is still about laughter, first and foremost, uh, you know, where, where laughter comes in stand-up, you know, laughter comes before perhaps like the underlying maybe argument you're making or the yes. underlying story no, you're telling. You. I'm glad you say that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Right. Because that's what distinguishes stand up from, I don't know, storytelling or other kind of prose or uh, writing. Yeah. Uh, like a, yeah, like a st- broader writing. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, that's what I can say in terms of a, in my, my own creation and my own uh, writing. Yeah. But I mean, at the end of the day, I can't speak to what's, off limits for, for someone else or a different yeah. audience. You know, I can, I, I can only speak for my own kind of preferences yeah. and, and I, I'm, I try to be self-aware that th- those are like my, you know, preferences or limits and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, so um, what is your p- opinion? Oh, by the way. Yeah. I'm glad you said funny first, because I do think sometimes, and I'm not knocking or criticizing because obviously comedy is a long road and it takes a long time to figure out who you are on stage and how you want to say it. But I do think a lot of times as new stand-up comics conflate performance activism with stand-up comedy. And, and I think those are two very different things. They both have their place, but I, I kind of think, no, I'm trying to be a stand-up comic. Right. <laughs> so the laugh is the God and everything right. else serves the God. Whereas, I mean, if you're doing performative activism, you just want to say what you want to say to make a point about what you're trying to get across. But I think mm-hmm. the greats have merged the two if they want to. And then others just say, no, I'm a stand-up comic. And you, this is what you get. You get jokes. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that is an important distinction um, that I, I don't know, for me, I think you should be trying to make it funny first and then, and then after that, it, it delivers a message. Great. Delivers a message. Um, right. So, right. so with all of this going on, what happened yesterday, are you, do you, are you concerned at all? Or do you think this is a little flare up? It's just in keeping with the times or do you think there's a greater undertow of uh, harm ahead for us <laughs> in America? Yeah. So I think that uh, what, what bothered me about yesterday, I, I think like, I think we'll be fine in the sense that like the, you know, the, the, uh, what was it? The electoral votes were counted and um, you know, that, that sort of completed like that process, the, and, and uh, the the electoral votes were counted, you know, Joe Biden will be uh, be moving forward. And, uh, but, but, but I think that the focal point of what bothered me yesterday, and I I don't know uh, who, how many people and who would agree with this is, it was, it was more so about the the protesters yesterday or the Trump supporters yesterday, whether you call them protesters, rioters, uh, terrorists, whatever, whatever the, the, the yeah. label is. Like, they were able, they, they were met with very, very little resistance. Like, uh-huh. like there's like a and a lot of the a lot of the the tweets that I, that I saw, like with the viral joke tweets. I think one that captured it really well was um, I, it was something like uh, I read this in the Twitterverse, uh, so I don't know who came up with this and how many people came with it, but it's like, it said, the tweet said like, I'm no longer impressed with um, Nicholas Cage trying to seal the declaration of independence. 
So it was the it was the profound, yeah, the profound lack of resistance. Sort of, you know, uh, the basis of of the of yesterday's protests compared to um, some of the other protests yeah. with different social justice issues throughout 2020. Yeah. Um, you know, there there was a big difference there, and I, and I think that, yeah, I mean that that was the, so it wasn't for me. It wasn't really a concern about my personal. I don't know, safety or um, it's more about, for me, it was, it was about putting yesterday's events and sort of lack of, you know, physical kind of pushback. Yeah. Uh, Putting that into context with like a lot of stuff that went down in 2020. So that's that's my take. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, that is is really weird to say the least. And I, I had even been thinking about this just in the last four years. I don't know much about politics and um, I don't actively seek out to understand politics, but it feels like things got really loosey goosey <laughs> when it yeah. comes to any, how things are done. And then I go, yeah. well, is anyone really paying attention um, in the Capitol when it comes to either lawmaking? Because obviously you hear about these lobbyists, they go in sometimes with these, you know, phone book, level um laws and our our representatives don't even have time to read them and they get passed or don't pass or whatever but no one's paying attention and so i've been thinking over the last four years with the way the president's been acting i go does anyone are there any checks and balances like first off let's just talk about twitter alone like why are people at the highest level of governance allowed to tweet as much as they do like that's not yeah. on twitter look i could i could have a whole podcast on the ills of social media. I right. think it's terrible. It's doing horrible things to our psychology. Um, yeah. But but forget them. Aren't there supposed to be controls? Like for instance, I work at an organization. I'm never going to say the name of this organization on my podcast. I'm never going to say it in my comedy. Um, even what I do for a living isn't necessarily something I want to put out there. Um, and then I do have to some extent be careful how I do my comedy. Um, because I am representing something other than myself. Right. Right. So if you're elected to office, aren't there some kind of controls in place that would say, okay, you are now the president of the United States. Guess what? Yeah. You can't tweet out an opinion on everything. And I'm sure people in the military, I'm sure armed force, uh, not armed force, I'm sure the police have rules where they're like, no, you can't tweet this and you can't have, you can't share your opinion about this or that. It's like, it's protocol. And so over the last four years, I've just been wondering, this is kind of a long thought process, but I've been wondering, are there checks on anything in government? And then yesterday was almost like a physical manifestation to say, no, there isn't, which is troubling, but it's double troubling when you know, no, they have the infrastructure to stop crowds to your point, because they were stopping crowds pretty well months ago. Yeah. But the color and the makeup of those crowds were a little different. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. What happened yesterday. So something, I don't know, it feels like a phone call wasn't made or maybe a phone call was made to say, no, let's see how it plays out. And then whoops, it did not play out well. Um, Right. So, yeah, I have, I do have um, overall, I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic just genuinely in, in where, humanity is going. I'm not really optimistic with governance or politics, but mm. uh, I, I think, unfortunately, I'm kind of thinking there might be more of this 
Because here's what I'm wondering. I don't know what your opinion is on this, but when you think about it, a lot of people voted for Trump. Do they all feel the same way those guys felt? Or is that just the QAnon group, you know, like the conspiracy group that did that yesterday? Or is it that everyone who votes for Trump is kind of feeling this way? And so how you answer that question is a really kind of a roadmap to what our next, however many years are going to look. Yeah, I agree. And I think also with, with the stuff that occurred yesterday, like I didn't feel personally any more or less unsafe. You know, that, that, yeah. that's not really what changed between yesterday and today. It's, it, it, again, it, it's just going back to kind of the, the, the double standard or, you know, the kind of yeah. hypocritical landscape of, of what groups are getting pushed back and what groups are not. Um, and then, and that was, you know, that, that was sort of my focal point on the thing. I wasn't really, I didn't really have an opinion on, uh, like I, I have, so I, I, I witnessed some pushback on like, on like, um, I don't know, the, the, the fairness of, 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 of the election. And, and, and to me, the, the whole thing is unfair. So, so I supported Andrew Yang uh, back in the day when he was, uh, you know, going for the, the Democratic nomination. And, and there was a lot of, um, there's a lot of like structural, there's a lot of stuff that, that was just not fair. For example, like NBC leaving Andrew Yang off of graphics because they didn't perceive him as like a serious contender. So it's to, to me yesterday was a, was an issue of like, of like misplaced complacency with, with kind of the actions of what those Trump supporters were doing. It was not really an issue of was the election fair or not. Uh, and in a lot of, the, I think there was a lot of like pushback that was, that was uh, focused on that, but it's not, it's not, I know, it's like, there's so much going on that, you know, that that's not really something I had uh, a position to speak to. I mean, I, yeah. I, I mean, at a glance, like I, I, I was, I was, I was pro anyone but Trump, like, yeah. especially when Andrew Yang uh, concluded his campaign. Uh, yeah. And I mean, that was mostly it for me. Uh, you know what? That is, that is so sad. I think, cause who would have thought uh, if you're a Democrat, who would have thought at the beginning of the year that the guy would have been Biden of that whole class of potential candidates. Right. There were some superstars in there. Yeah. Well, not just superstars. Let's not even say superstars. Let's stay away from that word. Let's just say people who, what is the democratic, especially when it comes to the president? I mean, the democratic process, there's a lot of levers and gears. And so we can't explain it all in a podcast, but let's just say the the vote for the president pretty accurately is a popularity vote. And you had some really popular people in there, not to mention people who were popular, but they resonated with people and they would have gotten more popular had the right messaging been allowed to get through. Right. But you know, the messaging, I don't know who controls the messaging. I'm not a conspiracy guy, but a conspiracy person would tell you that, you know, the major media corporations control the narrative and the narrative that got out, like some of these really cool people like Yang, Bernie Sanders, I think had a really strong following. Um, uh, who's the other gal who looked really, um, oh, I forgot. Who's that? Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard like compelling people who do well on camera and have really smart thoughts, you know, when they're talking, you just go, man, that's a sharp person. And you resonate. And uh, yeah, no, Biden's not that. 
Right. I mean, not, yeah, I, I, but he's not on par with on, he's not on par with any of yeah. those. Um, yeah, other. exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I would not have, I would not have seen um, at the beginning of the year last year that he would have been the guy that the democratic party picked. Right. But, oh, well, here we are. <laughs> yeah. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? So I, let's let, let's end. We actually, um, we're coming up on the hour, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to end it without bringing up soccer. Okay. I know that you are a soccer player. Are you also a yeah. soccer fan? I, I, I hate to disappoint, but I've always found, okay. So I'll watch like big games, you know, I'll okay. watch, I'll watch finals. I'll watch playoffs, but I, I, I just find it to be me. Like I perceive sports fandom, regardless of the sports to be a bit of a, a bit of a chore. And I, I just don't want to oh. like emotionally invest in like, uh, Holy you know, shit. We're, that's another similarity between you and me. Oh, okay. I'm in the same okay. boat. I can't invest the time. I can't invent right. the, the emotional, but, but you do understand like the, the, the strategy of it. And if you were to watch a soccer match, right. you would understand what they're doing and everything. Right. It's yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, um, actually, no, let me, let me phrase it differently. I don't want to ask it that way. What do you see that's happening with the U S women's soccer versus what happens with the U S men's soccer. And does U S men's soccer ever have hope to being a contender, if you will, for lack of a better term, or is it just never going to happen? Yeah, I think at a glance, uh, my, my theory is just, is just that I think for among like, uh, young men and, and boys choosing their, their preferred sports. I think because American football and basketball are simply more popular. Yeah. Um, that's, I think, I think that I could be totally wrong, but like, I think that sort of draws like the more physically fit, the more athletically minded, the more gifted athletes. Yeah. Um, and then I think that all, and I think that snowball, like in terms of the, the market or like the, yeah, the, 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 the demand for like, uh, consumers and fandom i think that snowballs and with you know with the nba and the nfl uh, and then so you know therefore the mls um just doesn't have that and then i guess when you when you get a little bit deeper i guess uh i mean sometimes i see articles about maybe certain teams or certain coaches having favorites and the rosters aren't i don't know adequately reflective of talent but i, I mean i i don't really keep up with Sure. That stuff. Uh, uh, and, um, I had, inter- yeah, yeah good. I had Grant Lyon. He's a comic, um, from LA and, but he also played college soccer. And oh, wow. I, I asked him a very similar question and his sentiment was the same. He goes, it starts, um, what you have to understand with international soccer is it starts young everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Latin America, um, Europe, part, parts of Europe, um, probably even Asia, the training for your national team starts at six, seven years old. Right. And they, they, and when you say that, it's not like, oh, you mom and dad drive them to practice three times a week. Um, and they, they train in some like club level from age seven. No, 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 no. That's like, they're in state run. Right. You know, air, uh, training camps to get better. Um, yeah. and so 
you know, we're already so far behind because we don't start really looking into, um, I guess, national level players or national level competition until teens um, right. for, for our team. So it's like, it's, that's too late. The rest of the world already has 10 years on us mm-hmm. when it comes to when it comes to that. But alternately, when it comes to women, it's kind of the same. And then here, I guess we just have the infrastructure to pick the best women players better than other countries or a larger talent pool to draw from than other countries. So their advantage of training from a very young age doesn't pay off on the woman's side. So, um, yeah, I tend to almost everyone I ask this question to, because I just, I always wondered, like, I know in my lifetime, the men's team has had a couple decent world cups performing, but like no one was ever thinking, Oh yeah, they're a contender this year. Like it was just like, Oh, they made it to whatever round of eight or whatever we call it. Um, but women, it's just consistently almost every world cup U S is either there winning it or, uh, you know, close to the end. And I was always thinking just why, why the disparity? But I think I understand it now after talking to more people who understand soccer, that the mechanism is just too, it's too late for the States to be contenders. Yeah. I, I, uh, no, I, I, I wish I, I could say more. I also think that perhaps the, I don't know if this is like, I think the the women's team is also so good just because I, I have this impression that American athletes, um, whether, whether they're men or women, like they're, they're just more uh, physical about the whole thing. Like they're, they're like baseline athletic kind of like strength speed, like the, the very basic conditioning just seems to be at a higher level. Mm. And somehow I perceive that that's, that's like pronounced with, um, you know, the American women's team, uh, compared to the other teams, right. um, but, but I, I, I could be wrong. I mean, that's just something yeah. I, I got no, definitely be part of it. Yeah. Well, Moody, this is, this has been great, man. I really appreciate the time. Uh, once again, everyone go check out furthermore, uh, just check his name out on YouTube, uh, Mudit Firma. It's a great yeah. podcast. And then you'll probably bump into him at a zoom mic near you. And hopefully someday soon at uh, a real physical mic, if we can get that uh, vaccine out in the next, I don't know, year or whatever. So thank you very much. This has been fun. Thank you so much, Matthew. Huge pleasure.